Welcome to Season 2 of the Development Locker Podcast, where we progress to the how, where we aim to continue your development throughout the 2021-2022 season and start to proactively prepare you for your transition come the end of the season. Over the next 12 months, we will cover a variety of topics that you, the listener, have voted for taking ownership of your own development and transitional needs and those of other academy players and graduates. This podcast is a free platform that aims to put you, the person behind the player, at the forefront of everything we do, so that we may enhance your academy experience via our guidance, advice and support on a weekly basis. Each week, we invite guests to tell us their stories, share their experiences, so that you can take on board key messages that will positively impact your future. Our objective is to cover the basics well, provide you with the additional 1% in a variety of areas and give you an opportunity to continue your lifelong development as you transition through the academy system towards fulfilling your aspirations of becoming a professional football player and living a fulfilled life after football. These are your chosen episodes. This is your interview from The Locker. This month, we cover mental health and well-being, with this week's episode introducing Martin Pemberton and his 1 to 11 with a difference. This isn't your usual 1 to 11 for you guys and girls who watch Soccer AM. What Martin has designed is a unique team compromising of some of the key components to make sure your mental health is in a good state and achieving personal well-being. What Martin has done is unique, groundbreaking and yet so, so simple in breaking down what the topic means to an academy player. Martin took the time out of his busy schedule to sit down and discuss a range of subjects that all relate to this one's topic and all directly concerning the development of the person behind the player. We changed tact a little by trialling a less formal format, ditching the usual Q&A and just going with the flow of conversation. So fingers crossed you enjoy it. It's always good to take yourself outside of your comfort zone and this is us doing just that. As we bring you Martin's story in this week's interview for The Locker. So Martin, I mean, I know we've we've caught up previously before, but I want to delve straight into the topic, really, if it's okay with you, and put you right on the spot. Mental health and well-being is a topic this month for the podcast. What do those two terms mean to you? Mental health and well-being, what do they mean to me? Well, I think I think our well-being, for a start, is the foundation of life, and I think so. For that, from that point of view, for people, it's everything, isn't it? I mean, I've just as we spoke just before, I've just recently had COVID, and so that's kind of put me back a little bit in terms of my own health and well-being. And so it, it actually yeah. made me appreciate my health. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, it really made me refocus and go, actually, before this, how lucky was I to have my health? And that other people feel like I felt in these last few weeks, that's their everyday reality. And so I was, I felt really fortunate that, and then understood that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything, do you? you know? And of course, then aside that mental health, 
I think that it's just it's mental well-being. Hopefully, that people would would start to to change it to because we've all we've all got mental health, as you hear many many people yeah. say. So it's something I'm passionate about now. I've been experienced the the uh, I suppose the more downside of my own mental health many years ago, um, and it's something that I think is is changing. But hopefully, there's still work to do, and maybe to shine a light on on a few different things. Hopefully, that will help people uh, prevent it rather than being reactive to it. But it's it's everything in it: your health and your mental health. Listen, if you don't have them, then you've got a very different different life experience. That's not great. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that, I mean, like I said, off, prior to starting the recording, officially we were talking about you, you recently suffering from COVID and. And like you just said then about it, it makes you appreciate certain things, especially your health. Is yeah. that a is that a switch? Do you think in inside people is that a personality trait where people either go through a scenario like that, whether it's COVID, non-COVID, it could be you know whatever it may be, you know, mm. changing career, a, a loved one, a family mm. friend, you know, passing, whatever it may be. And is that a switch where you also then become appreciative and grateful for for what you've got? Or is it the opposite way? If that switch is then turned off, do you then go into a downward spiral of like, why me? Why has this got to happen? Or it's affecting me really badly. What, what's your viewpoint on that? Yeah, I think it depends on your, I suppose, like you just said, then your experiences potentially can guide you towards having a, a, a attitude of gratitude. But I think for many of us, uh, we are quite pessimistic, aren't we? We've had to do that to survive through the ages anyway. So mm. I can see certainly with COVID, my way of thinking definitely helped me get through that period. Certainly being isolated and then not feeling great. I kind of, I didn't fight against it. I was like very accepting of it. And I thought, look, it's just going to run its course. And thinking of it in terms of physically, there was a, a war going on inside me. And so you're not going to, you're not going to feel great. But I can also understand how some people would be uh, disappointed to have got it or to be ill uh, and yeah. then feel like it's a, a it's something that's going against them. But through my experiences of life, I've, I probably used to think like that, but now I've shifted it to be more, uh, like you said, appreciative of situations. So getting ill now has, has not made me think, oh, it's terrible, I shouldn't have got it, it's not fair. It's just made me think, this is not the best situation in the world. However, it's just part of the process and what can I learn from it? But again, I think that's a, pra- I think that's a practiced behaviour and way of thinking. I don't think it's our natural way of thinking. Yeah. I mean, do, do you practice gratitude? Is that something that you do, like daily affirmations or... Kind Not of, so much. You know, uh, gratitude daily. list of things yeah. that you've got to be grateful for. Is that just kind of something you use as and when you tap into? Well, yeah, the gratitude is on the 1 to 11, which we'll obviously we'll speak about during yeah, yeah, yeah. this call. So that that came about um, as my as I, I will mention, I suppose my experiences of mental health, gratitude was something on the list that I realised when I was in my recovery period and feeling really great, I was mm. really thankful and appreciative for everything that I had in my life. But those times when I was struggling, I also realised that then it was really difficult to be grateful or feel grateful because it's not a it's not a natural default setting for us. I don't think gratitude has to be. It's a learned and practised behaviour because. We take things for granted, don't we? Like we've just spoke about health now. Yeah. In my, I, we've all been ill before, haven't we? And, and we felt yeah. terrible, and then afterwards we've forgotten about it, and we've took our health for granted again. And so often that's the challenge I think we've got as human beings is that 
how grateful can we be for the simplest things but then we get used to it and then we kind of forget you know so what i generally do now because i'm aware of that and i've been through that process i'm always trying to think of uh what i'm appreciative for so you know every morning when you wake up for example it might sound cheesy to some people but i didn't used to be grateful for another day but now i, I am you know and then i think about i'm lucky to have slept in a nice bed and got a duvet and a pillow and you know somebody sleeping out on the streets tonight and so it's it's using those comparisons to somebody's got it worse than you to to help you feel better about your your own situation and, and yourself essentially yeah i mean you mentioned the one to eleven there and you know that's kind of 50 percent of you know this episode really in terms mm -hmm. of that's how we first came into contact yeah. a couple of years ago in in respect of what is so you know for, for myself for the, for the listeners Kind of summarise, talk us through the 1 to 11, what it is, how you came about to design it. Yeah, so um, the 1 to 11 came through a natural process. I, I used to play football many, many moons ago. I was a pro footballer for quite a long time. And then <clears throat> I retired in 2007. And then I became a learning mentor for kids who lived in kind of disadvantaged areas and stuff who weren't really getting on with school. And so that was a great experience and challenging. Uh, I often say that swapped one arena of getting kicked and abused <laughs> for another one and just got paid a lot less, a lot less money and, and had to do longer hours. Um, but then uh, six years after retiring and, and obviously working in that job, yeah. I kind of found myself at that point where I was struggling with my mental health and, and it kind of, again, it, it, it crept up on me and this is what we kind of try to speak to people about now. It's like that, just keeping an eye on yourself because if I'd have known the things I know now and it's easy to say, I would have spotted the signs, but I just didn't have a, you don't have a clue. And so most people, unbeknownst to themselves, just trundle along in life. But all the while, you're falling deeper and deeper until it kind of hits you. And then you go, right, oh, God, <clears throat> I was, you know, kind of struggling with depression and feelings of depression and anxiety. Um, and I kind of, I got to the point of where I didn't want to be here. And I literally, I nearly got run mm. over one day. And I, I said, I wish I had got run over because... Jesus. I just didn't, I just didn't want to be here anymore, and that's where my mind. And then I was like, well, right, maybe this is not, not this is worse than you you kind of think. And and also, uh, I kind of then once I figured out what it was, which was actually so tied to the identity of being a footballer because that's all I'd ever done really. Yeah. When that when you lose that, it it, it, it sounds a bit dramatic in some respects, but. It's like a grieving process. And I saw something the other day about grief, and it's not, it doesn't just have to be about losing a loved one or someone dying. It's the loss of anything that you truly love. And so yeah. when I think of a lot of footballers now and people in sport, and if you lose anything, it's it's natural to think then that there's a, a grieving process that you're going to go through. But because we don't know that or it's not spoken about, you just get on with it when you retire and you kind of don't really think about it. So you don't know what's happening to you. You're feeling all these different emotions, and but you don't understand it. But if someone had said to me, listen, Martin, it's going to be like a grieving process this for you when you when you retire. You're going to go through this whole bounce of not feeling great and that loss and sadness and lots of different yeah. things. And if imagine if my family would have been aware of that as well, they would have been more tuned to what I was going through because... Again, you don't understand it yourself, so other people aren't, aren't going to understand it. And so once I started to recover and I kind of found out it was all about this identity and all this other stuff, I kind of naively thought that once I would knew what the issue was for me, that I'd get better and that'd be it. And so how, how wrong I was, because <laughs> I, I, I fell back probably three or four times back to those depths where it was like, yeah. I don't want to be in. And, you know, and I, I've, I've got two daughters who were, who were like 
13 and nine now. So they were like five and, and, and like one or something like that, you know, at the time. And it's, you're thinking about leaving those people and, uh, and my wife yeah. at the time and stuff. And it's a, you really, there's a, sh- there's a shame that you feel as well for feeling that way as well, you know? And so after I'd fallen back a few times, I kind of said, I've had enough of this, but this time it wasn't, I've had enough. I want to, I just want to check out. It was like, I want to find out what I'm doing when things are going well for me. And so I just assessed. What, what, what do you put that down to? So that flicking of the switch analogy I'm using, what do you what, put that down that, to between you not taking that downward curve and going, right, yeah, that's it. I don't want to be here anymore. And something <laughs> flicked inside you or what was the turning point for you to go, you know, to I'm going to find it. out and I'm going to yeah. find it and I'm going to change it. Um, well, it was a conversation actually when I, I went to, I was trained to be an NLP practitioner when the okay. real breakthrough came, because the, the, the lady on the course who was the trainer, we're just having yeah. a conversation one lunchtime and she, I was talking to her tons and stuff and she just, she said to me, um, Martin, she said, do you, do you pay your friends and family? And I, I was like, you know, you just, I don't, I don't get, what you, I don't get what, what you mean, do I pay them? And she said, well, the way you speak about yourself, I'm surprised any of them would actually want to be around you. And in that moment, she got me and I knew exactly what she was getting at in terms of how I felt about myself. So that was a turning point in terms where I thought about getting out of the room because I kind of knew she, she had me and I knew it was going to break me. <laughs> oh, so I had that decision where you go, I can either run away, but then do you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna have to keep running because that's what I was doing. I was yeah. running away from my issues or I can stay and face this. And so luckily, you know, I did stay and face it. And then that was the, the springboard to, to trying to, to change. And so therefore, you know, changed my diet started exercising more, started consuming really positive content. Uh, I was really mindful of everything that I was doing and, and improvements took place. But again, the consistency wasn't there. And then again, like I said, we get a little bit complacent, start feeling better, don't we? And then we stop doing the things we've done to take us to a certain level and you, and you inevitably slide back. And so it was after three or four times of sliding back that then that switch went again where I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep improving and then falling back into those those depths and then going again. And so then I was like, right, I need to I need to figure this out for me because I just I lived, I knew I didn't have the energy to keep doing it essentially. And that if it happened one more time, I don't know what the ramifications would have been. Do you know? So that yeah. was the driver for me. I don't know how many times I can keep falling back into that deep darkness and how many times I'm going to be able to pull my pull myself out and so even I like I stopped drinking because I went out on a night out once and I realized for a few days after I felt terrible I was back in that back in that place and I thought well, well I've been feeling great what's happened and I went oh, yeah you were out drinking so now I, I don't really drink and if people ask me if I want to drink or and I say no and they keep asking me I tell them why I don't drink you know and it, it kind of shuts the conversation down pretty quickly you know in terms of but then they understand why I'm not drinking because I know the effect that it has on on my mental health and then sends me spiraling back down towards where I I don't want to be so is it possible then for yourself and others to establish new habits that become automatic or is yeah. it always got to be a conscious thing you're and i say you i mean yeah. anybody suffering from any mental health issue yeah. is it yeah. then it got to be a conscious thought on a regular basis yeah. like you said to give yeah. yourself that 
positive content to eat right, to sleep right, to drink right? I can only, you know, and I say everybody's so different, so I only always yeah. tell people it from my perspective. What I've found and discovered is that uh, repetition has been key to then make some things natural. Uh, and I'll give you an example of kind of like, do you know, it's it's the difference between if something happens to me where I feel a bit annoyed or I get angry with something or somebody, the difference mm. now is that I don't say that person or that thing is making me mad. I'm saying okay. that I've elected, I'm choosing to get mad. Now that's... It, 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 there's a it's subtle but it's a massive difference because one, yeah you're you're, you're reframing that aren't you? yeah That's yeah ownership of it yeah, yeah yeah because one disempowers you and it gives all your power away to say that people and events have the power to make you feel the way that they want or you take the power back and you go no i'm making a conscious decision but that's not automatic that takes practice until it and then now it is automatic if that makes sense but so yeah. you catch yourself in the moment when you get annoyed and you go they're, oh, no, they're not. They're not making me mad. I'm making a decision. So I believe it's it's possible for things to become habitual with enough repetition. But it, that, it, it's, it takes time and it takes a dedication and it takes a consistency and it takes a commitment to it because it is easy. to. I always say to people, if I stop doing the things I'm doing, there's every chance I could fall back to where I used to be. Probably could, pretty simply. But that's what drives me on to not do that if that makes sense and to pay attention yeah it makes perfect sense so i mean on to one to eleven i mean mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love it and i did from the first day that we connected really in terms of it's just everything that i think is perfect and i i don't use that word a lot but yeah it's almost like perfection because it's football analogies right throughout it yeah. it relates to every aspect of life and for me, that is the perfect combination because it, it, it in my role in, in, in academy football, previous one and, and current one, that's always the, the the devil in the room is you're trying to teach, create an environment that young lads are learning through football, life skills forever. And it's so difficult. And you've, and I'm sure there's a lot of hard work gone into it, but you've put it into kind of one image with your yeah. team 1 to 11, yeah. with the labels of the different components that you feel are pertinent and important to somebody's mental health and, and, and well-being. And yeah. I just absolutely love it. So, I mean, talk us how you came, what was yeah. the decision-making process in choosing those well, 11 components yeah. and which ones didn't make it, maybe? Well, uh, uh, this is the great thing about it and why, similar to kind of what you've said in terms of it being really in terms of if it's perfect or it's certainly something within it that resonates with people because yeah. it wasn't something that I sat down and thought, oh, I'll develop this thing. It came through the experience and came after. And it was only as a reflection on what I was doing when things were going well, did I write down, I thought, right, I'm just going to write down what, what I'm doing. And I, and I wrote them down, didn't really think of it. And then when I'd stopped and then counted them, <laughs> I realised there was 11. And so that's <laughs> when the, my mind went, whoa, football, 11 players. Yeah. It came on the pitch. And I, and I always remember managers used to say it was, if you win your battles, one to 11, you win the game. And that, that yeah. process happened really quickly from discovering there were 11 to the football uh, analogy to that comment from managers. And then the thought of, like we've spoken about before, me, me and you about this, this, this idea that football matches 
are very much like life in terms of yeah. the game. And that, that's why I think the game of football is so popular and resonates with so many people. But oh, no you're, doubt. Ne- you're never in the ascendancy for the whole game, even if you're, you're better than, than someone else. It can change in an instant on a decision that's out of your control. And yeah. so I thought, and then you're scrambling for your life to keep the ball out. And many games and the, and the crowd are, uh, are chanting against you and you've got all these things that you're up against there. And it's kind of like a carnage for a while. But then all of a sudden you, you withstand the storm, you start going forward again, you get your confidence back and then the momentum shifts. And I thought, that's just like it is in life. Like some, yeah. you, you can be going along really sweetly. Something comes out of left field and you're on your backside and now you're scrambling and it's like you don't know what's going on. So I just thought this process can work for people as well, not just in, in terms of your mental well-being, but I believe because the, the, the principles are universal and they're not, they're not rocket science or convoluted, they're really simple things that we all know about. But that, that's I what makes the yeah. perfect things that perfect. I, I, you you I think, think like if you were to give that to me and go, Rightly, I want you to choose, you know, eleven yeah. things that you think are important in life, yeah. and only eleven. And then you've got to present it to me. It's almost like an assignment. Like you're thinking, Jesus yeah. Christ, it's going to be hard work. Yeah. And again, I fully respect there's going to be a lot of hard work and thought process behind it. But yeah. it's just so simple, but yet so effective. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, and and then that's it's it's it was just there, and then I was like, right, you know, these things, people, we all know about them, and so. We're just not aware of how we use them, I think. And so this could do a lot of good for a lot of people in a lot of areas. And so the first thing that I wrote down on my list was um, acceptance and responsibility. Because at that time, if I hadn't have accepted how I felt about me and the whole identity thing and all, you know, not feeling like I had much to offer, etc., if yeah. I, I if I hadn't accepted that, there was no movement for me to move forward. And when I thought about it then in life, all the things that people get stuck on or argue about or are resistant to, there's always a lack of acceptance. True. Always. Everything that, if, if, if people listening to this, if when they listen, think of anything that is not going the way you want it to go, there is resistance and a lack of acceptance towards that situation. Whether somebody said something to you, done something to you, an event's happened, something's not gone the way you wanted, or it's something about yourself, it's that lack of acceptance that prohibits you from either listening or speaking about something or, or moving forward. But I think acceptance for people, and this is why I've coupled it with responsibility, because acceptance on its own, I think to many people means like you've just given up or you just resigned and there's nothing you can do about it. I can't accept it because they think there's nothing they can do. Whereas when you couple it with responsibility, it makes it from a disempowering kind of action into a really empowering, because what you're saying now is, I can't change the past. I've had a hand in the past, mm-hmm. but I can change what I'm going to do from now on. So that situation wasn't great for me in the past, but I'm not there now. And actually, I can do something about this. And so rather than it being a disempowering process, it's really empowering for people to know that actually you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay with the, something that happened to you 20 years ago because now you're 20 years older you've got a new chance to do something different if you want to. And so that's always the starting point to move past anything is always acceptance and responsibility. And so without that, and that's that's the one part of the one to 11 that's fixed that I always say first step. And so many people I speak to, 
the, they're on step one and you could be on step one for quite a while because there's always something to accept and take responsibility for all the time isn't there and so oh yeah true. it's, yeah, it's pivotable true. so if you can think what's in my control what's not in my control and work on what's in your control and put what's out of your control down you're going to save yourself a lot of time and energy whereas the majority of people focus on things they can do nothing about and not on what they can do and so it's just a basic premise of flipping that and putting more energy into what you can do rather than what you you can't if some you know for example if somebody said something to you that you don't like there's nothing there's not a right lot you can do about that from now but what no. is in your responsibility is your response you can either let them, that thing they've said to you ruin your whole day or your week or an impact on you in a really negative way or you can say right they've said that i can't control what comes out of their mouth all i can control is what i do from here and how i respond and again it brings you back into that empowerment rather than being disempowered because i think the narrative at the minute is there's a lot of people who feel disempowered but yeah. it's because they don't know that they're actually doing that themselves yeah no i to totally agree totally agree yeah. i mean as with any team as yeah. with yeah, anything you have favorites least favourites, ones that are work in progress. Yeah. So, to use a football analogy, is there a star player in your 1-11 that stands out than any other? I think the, the first, what we've just talked, the keeper, acceptance of responsibility, that yeah, yeah. is absolutely the foundation of everything that I do okay. from now on. Um, I think communication is really important in terms of mm -hmm. not and again, this was because um, I put communication and then support kind of go together because yeah. I never told people around me how things actually were for me. I didn't tell them that I was suicidal until kind of, you know, much later down the line. But what happened was I was getting really frustrated with the people around me because I felt they weren't giving me the support I needed or they didn't understand me. It's only when I realised that actually I thought, I thought they didn't know. So how they could only go off the information I'd given them. So I had to take responsibility for that. And so once I did speak about it, of course, then people changed the way that they approached me and gave me the support that I, I needed. But with communication also, it also was becoming aware of the uh, internal and external uh, voice that you uh, have in your head and what you speak with. What are the words that you're consistently saying to yourself? Because you, we all have that monkey mind, don't we, where saying yeah. all them things and the doubts. And it's like, it's it, it, I, I kind of... The analogy I use, it's a bit like a buffet that's forever running and it's got your favourite food on and your least favourite. And I say to people, you know, say so for me, it'd be sprouts and chocolate cake, right? Can't stand sprouts, love chocolate cake. Just because sprouts are on the menu, would I pick them up and eat them? And it's like, well, no. So I class those sprouts as kind of like my negative mental processes. They're still there, but I don't pick them up and eat them anymore because they don't taste very good, don't make you feel well. Whereas actually the chocolate cake, I know that that's nice and that's the positive stuff. I can make that choice. So Because people say, oh, I can't, I can't help how I think. But you can decide which ones you want to focus on. And I think that the, to, to think that you'll never have negative thoughts or experiences is unrealistic. It's how you deal with or which ones you decide. Because we've always got a choice. Uh, no matter what, even if it's just in our in our reaction. So I always say to people, pay attention to the the thoughts that you're having, 
and also the language that you're using. You know, it's like, how's your day been today? Oh, I've had an absolute shocker. Right, how's your day been today? I've had better days. They both mean the same thing, but one leaves you feeling differently than the other. Mm. So communication with yourself and others, and that, and I say when I do talks as well to people who've maybe not struggled with their mental health, your part of the communication is to be there to listen and not listen to respond, just to listen to that person. Because actually that's all the, the need for that moment. And so communication is vital, isn't it, in terms of everything that goes on within our lives. If there's, you see it in you know, football clubs, businesses, mm-hmm. relationships, school, if, if there's a lack of communication, both the way we speak and how we listen, there's always that breakdown which causes a, a huge problem. And then you can't get the support that you're looking for because you never speak. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really, and then support-wise, is thinking about your environment. Who have you got around you? what's their impact on you have you got someone who's particularly negative that you don't feel great when you've you've been around them because obviously that can have an impact on people so i never say to people often those might be family members i'm not suggesting you stop talking (laughs) to your family and sack them off but just that awareness of how you feel after your interactions with people who has you energized and who drains that energy because that's also uh, something to consider but also, how are you supporting yourself? And so when we went back to that change of routine, what am I eating? What am I watching? What am I listening to? Am I getting outside for some fresh air, getting out into nature? What time am I going to bed? You know, what routines have I got? That's what I class as supporting yourself as well. So, you know, what have you got in place? Because ultimately, people can help you, but they're not going to do it for you. And in there that you'd, you identify... In football, so you've had many experiences in football, yeah. we'll come on to that in a bit, but yeah. is there any in there that you identify being very prominent in football as that always uh, need improvement? Number, step one always with us footballers, <laughs> like taking responsibility and uh, being accepting of, of things, whether that's criticism or, or whatever. I think that that is a, a definite starting point for for lots of players, but again, communication, that mm-hmm. between players and, and coaching staff, do players feel comfortable enough to come and tell you how they're feeling? Well, it just depends on how they might have felt if they've had interactions with you before. Do you listen or do you dismiss that? You know, I think that's a really, you know, because I've spoken to younger players who have potentially said something to coaching staff and then it's not been very well received. Uh, and then they kind of go, I'm not going to say that again. You know, yeah. so that that's so communication, like that's the I think that and the support element. Those first three are vital, I think, is inside a, a football club where you know everybody's accepting of everybody else, and and and, and any other organisation. To be fair, uh, everyone takes responsibility for what they do without blaming and complaining about everyone else. Uh, the communication is is open and honest, and people know where they stand. And then the support network is in there where there's an environment for people to come forward and speak. But also, once they've come forward to speak, I still think that the individual then have to take responsibility still for what they're going to do to change that. Because it's all right creating an environment that's inclusive and listens to people, but does that then just foster people be able to come in and say, oh, I don't feel well today, or I'm not feeling great, or this is not great, but then they never get asked to do anything. And so I think we're in danger of that also within the world where we're creating these supportive, nurturing environments but I think we're not asking the individuals to do their bit also. And I think that's maybe the, the step that we're missing at the moment that's disempowering people rather than 
empowering because if you just go into an, uh, an environment where you can just you know complain all the time or say what's wrong without being asked well, what are the solutions you're never going to change are you and so you're going to no. get you're going to get stuck you know so certainly those three for football i believe to start to look at and hopefully change that will create this uh, a more supportive um network but again ultimately you know it is still down to the individual uh, as yeah, well yeah it is yeah and you mentioned identity before, and yeah. I'm, I'm learning this massively in the study that I'm doing on transition experience and academy yeah. players for my, for my master's, but yeah. you mentioned it and you picked upon a, a problem that's coming up in all the reading that I'm doing. Yeah. How do we change the, the current narrative in academy football, professional football, of these individuals, these human beings, yeah. purely and solely identifying as just, I say just, as a yeah. footballer yeah. and nothing else. How do we change that? How do we begin we, uh, that process? We start treating them as, as human beings, first and foremost, and footballers second. Uh, we're treated as footballers first and human beings second in terms of you're a commodity. If you're not fit, then you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Um, and so I think that all we've got to simply do is just change that process, is understanding that players are people. Uh, they're not robots. Um, they are susceptible to stresses and to anxieties and on and, and, and all lots of different things. And so if we can help the players to work on and, and them understand that, that you're a person first. And you know what? After this ride's over, you're going to be a person again. <laughs> so yeah. we need to work on you as a person. It's, it's kind of like, it's like uh, Superman and Clark Kent, right? Superman's what you do. Football's what you do. It's not Clark Kent is who you are. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's helping people to identify with who they are off the pitch. Who's that person? And also, I don't know about you, mate, if you notice this, because there's, there's many players, often people get treated completely the same. It's a one-size-fits-all. It might be different now. It certainly was when I was playing. But again, if we get to know the person as an individual, then there can be different conversations and ways of being, being treated. You know, so I think for me, if we can look at that first, and it, it's not just football, is it, Lee? Like most no. sporting arenas, you're a commodity while you're yeah. useful, and then you're not after you're done. And so there's even the transition out of football. It's kind of one day you play, next minute that you say you you finished, and there's no. It doesn't seem like there's a transitional program out of football for when you've done. Even though you know your career is going to end, you don't want to think about it while you're playing, but you don't know what that means. Your career is going to come to an end. You've no clue. So you can't prepare for it because nobody kind of knows or talks about it. So it starts, I think we've got to start with the younger players now to start to help them understand that this is going to be the journey. You've done football all your life. It's all you've known. It's easy to get tied to that, that role. But understanding that that's going to come to an end someday. So how are you going to prepare for that? You know, and it's difficult because you know you. God, it is. Try saying that to a football, you absolutely love it, and it's all you all you want to do. Um, yeah. But I think the approach has to be more one of a humanistic approach first, player second, and I think it's the other way around at the start. Because again, look at how young players are now into academies or training with clubs and they're getting kids at seven, eight now and it's like, well, now you're going to identify with being at Man as a Man United player or yeah. being at Man United and it's like, what happens then when that comes to an end? 
what's the fallout from that? Because you were proud to be at a club or, you, you know, there's a little bit of kudos and, you know, again, in terms of buying into your own ego, but then what do you do when that comes to, it comes to an end? So I don't know where the, uh, the education might be in terms of doing that, but something needs to, does need to change because I think, like you said, we, we see the fallout from professional sports now and it's, it's not great for people, is it? So, it's not, no, there's a lot of hard work being done, you know, behind yeah. the scenes in clubs, mm-hmm. you know, with the support of organisations, yeah. PFA, EFL, LFE and the type. So I think I think he's getting better. But from, from your perspective and somebody who's quite independent and mm-hmm. and that for me is really a, a, a unique selling point, to put it for a better phrase. What, what would you recommend? So you talked about the responsibility and the acceptance. So yeah. let's use that, you know, the, yeah. the first... First number, first name on on your team sheet, one to eleven, yeah. and this thing around identity. So, an academy player or you know a, a first year pro listening to this this, yeah. this episode of the podcast, yeah. how can they take ownership responsibility of that identity? So, say for example, and we know that a lot of times there'll be an environment where it's football, 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 yeah. and we're not yeah. here to debate the right yeah. and wrong and yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. That's probably a far bigger conversation yeah. to have. Yeah. Yeah. But the classic scenario will be player A is in said environment in an academy system and it's football, 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 eat, drink, yeah. sleep. How does that player take responsibility to be able to work on their own identity so they don't solely just identify as a footballer and even yeah. just start to think and even hopefully even action that they identify yeah. as a human being or other things than just a football? How yeah, do they do that? Definitely. So I think, again, we start with the education of that this career is a short career, <clears throat> that we've got to, yes, while we're focused and want to become a professional footballer, we're going to put all our efforts into that, or lots of our efforts. We've also yeah. got to think about other things and interests away from football. Because if, if everything's tied to that and you're so attached to it, because it's attachment as well, yeah. what are you going to do when that disappears? You know, And so it's be the awareness of having a... a, a a drive and a goal to become a pro footballer, but again, a slight detachment from being a footballer, if that makes sense. So yeah, you're not attached to your this title that you've got of professional football. And if you can detach yourself from that and see it for what it is, which is going to be one portion of your life, then you're probably going to stand a better chance as you move through your career or when your career comes to an end. Because it's that attachment that I had of not knowing anything else and not wanting to be anything else that had to oh, cause come me up the problem. So did you, in your playing career, which we'll, we'll come on to next, really, yeah. is in your playing career, did you push back? Did you, I mean, because, you know, we're, you know, you know, all by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. like you said, you're retired. So, mm-hmm. you know, back in your playing career, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. it may have been worse than what it is now in terms of the identity you're a footballer, that's it, nothing else. Did you push back? Did you have other outside interests? How did you, manage that without getting the, the classic frowned yeah. upon by your teammates, by your coaches, stuff yeah. like that. He's not really, well, he's not really in this for the, the football. No. Look at him doing no. other things outside of football. No, no. well, I, there you go, exactly. And it wasn't the environment to do that. And, it, and I didn't do didn't do that because, again, you kind of, it's like being indoctrinated in a way into this <laughs> way of thinking in this world. And, and I don't say that lightly. Um, no. And yeah, you go to college and you do your YTS yeah. and stuff, but yeah. it's not something that's pushed on you or no. promoted or encouraged for you to go and have think about life 
after football because like we've said most players don't want to think about that anyway do we, we, we no. you don't want to be thinking about any career before you've even got going or while you're enjoying it so it's a difficult conversation to have but i think like you said with the work that's going now we're trying to take a bit of a step back and, and hopefully teaching these younger players that it's prudent to start having some other interests that you can have that you're into that you can do or would want to do when you finish your your career now that might be quite difficult for a lot of players to hear and they go I don't want to do anything else which I can totally empathise with because I didn't but you're going to be forced to at some point whether you want to or not <laughs> so it's better to get out ahead of the game rather than to leave it last last minute and then have to do it so that that's what I would say to people is to you before, yeah, it would have been frowned upon and looked down upon and you'd say, well, you know, you've got to put a short career, you've got to do what you can while you can, and which I agree with, but there's still plenty, players still have plenty of time to focus on something else, don't they, on the, on the, oh, on yeah. the side, yeah. you know, we, and, and, and that often, I don't have time, it's not true, it's just that you, that's not a priority for you right now, and that's why I say to people when they say, it's, I ain't got any time, it's not that you don't have time, it's just that that thing that you been asked to do what you're talking about is not it's not a priority but it, it's only like you said through education and understanding and awareness that hopefully <clears throat> that narrative and, and people will change in football but then the next thing with education is education's everywhere but it's useless unless there's an awareness uh, of the need for it and then the willingness to go and learn yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, be, that's, that's the biggest that's a, struggle, really. Yeah, that's a difficult thing for that. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think if more people, if they were exposed to potentially more ex-players who can come in and tell their story, of yeah, what happened to them, that might, even if it doesn't get everyone, it might just galvanise a few into thinking, God, I don't yeah. want to end up, you know, like like that. And so I think that'd be a useful tool to use to. If there are other, you know, ex-players who would come and speak about their experiences, both in football and after, so that if players know these things, they can start to prep for it now. Because if I'd obviously, it's easy to say in hindsight. If I'd have known what I know now, then I wouldn't. Have, but then, if I hadn't, if I hadn't have experienced what I've experienced, the one to eleven wouldn't have been born anyway. So, again, you go back to it's a situation that happened for a, for for a reason. Yeah, I mean. Your your career, so I mean, you you played for a number of clubs, you know, Oldham, mm-hmm. Doncaster, you know, Hartlepool, yeah. Stockport yeah. County as well, um, yeah. a really good Northwest club. Yeah. In terms of keeping to the topic of mental health and well-being, your many transitions between those clubs, whether yeah. they were under your control or outside of your control, yeah. Yeah. is it a daft question to ask whether it did affect your mental health, having to change from club to club? I don't think it's a daft question at all. No, I think it's the the whole life of a footballer. I think is is can be very stressful and is. Mm. Um, and this is what I say sometimes when I do talks because you know people from outside of football have a particular view of footballers, don't they? Often the stereotypical kind of <clears throat> you know they don't do anything, they get paid loads. There's you know they just kick a ball about sort of thing. But I always kind of explain to people about what you see someone on a football pitch that's been uh, over a decade's worth of work from being yeah. a young kid there's been dedication there's sacrifices there's been pitfalls there's been disappointments you then you know you you become a professional 
then it changes in terms of the pressure that you then feel. Then you're competing to get in the team against other people who are in the squad. Then when you get in the team, you've got to try to stay in the team. You're trying to beat someone on a Saturday where they're as good as you, those players, so it's not that easy. While you've got people who come pay the privilege to say what they want to you. Uh, and then someone who's never played the game gives you a rating about your performance <laughs> after the event. And I say to people, imagine doing your job <laughs> yeah. under that pressure. And your family have come to watch you as well. And they've got to listen to all the abuse that you're getting. So you've yeah, got it, and, I, and it, so it I always say, takes me back to a session yeah. where we, we got one of the coaches in who was um yeah. England international, you know, I'm not gonna name mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Premier League player, and he came in and did a session with the lads when, yeah. while I was at Bolton. And I always remember he, him summing that imperfect, and I never thought about it in that way. And he, he just yeah. said, Look, you've all come in this stadium now, you've yeah. passed the, the, the lady on reception, he said, No disrespect yeah. to her, yeah. but every single one of you could do her job. But there's very few people can do your job. All for the things that you just said about yeah. they can't take the the dedication, the training, the sacrifice, the yeah. opinions, yeah. The, the, the the other bad stuff that comes with it. Yeah, don't get me wrong, you yeah. know, the very, very, yeah. very small percentages that yeah. have the, the trappings, the wealth and all yeah. the rest of it. But for the majority, and someone like yourself who's been yeah. in, you know, the lower leagues and then into yeah. to, to non-league. There's yeah. very, very few people can put yeah. can stand put you know put up with that scrutiny. You know, there's the injuries as well. If you get a long term yep. injury, there's the isolation from the rest of the lads. There's the getting your way back from injury. And if you've had to do that a few times, so it's all mental pressure that takes it takes it. So then obviously you try to get a new contract. You know, if you're coming up to the end of your contract, there's pressure there. You're going to get another club. And then, like you said, so what happens then? You've got to go to a new club. <laughs> so then. You're going into a new set of players that you've got to kind of, you know, um, get their respect and prove you, prove that you're a good enough player to be with those players. Obviously, there's lots of egos. You, you, you've got to find your kind of your feet of where you sit. Then you're traveling a lot potentially, and so it's. And I don't say that for people to. I'm not. We're not complaining about about the the life because that's what we we chose. I think that what we're trying to say to people is there's a a lot of mental strain. Yeah. On, on sports people and then you've got to perform at a certain time twice a week at a high level to, to prepare for as well so I think once all that comes to an end you've, you have gone through quite a, a lot of mental kind of uh, I don't want to say trauma but you've gone through really difficult moments in, your, in high pressure situations that I believe will take its toll on on anybody and so something has to give and so often that's why we see a lot of the players trying to cope in the ways that they're coping whether that's certain vices or just ways of behavior because it's actually that's a, a kind of a cry for help but it goes with the territory of that's what it used to be like you know that was just part and parcel of, of being a football but like you said now we know more there can be more things in place to help players deal with that and to but again, by not being as attached to it, which sounds maybe sounds a little bit foreign to people, how can you not be attached? But it's that massive attachment that's going to cause you a massive problem down the line when you can't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I was one of those people who pigeonhole, generalise, you know, kind of put that stigma on on, on, on footballers when, you know, I, I entered my first job in, in football and you do, yeah. and especially in the academy system, you're like, oh, yeah. you know, 
straight away you think, yeah, these long, young lads, they don't know how good they've got it. Look at the surfaces <laughs> they're playing on. It's like a yeah, carpet. Yeah. You've got all this support. You've got... But it quickly... And, and when I say it wears you down, and that's me who's never yeah. been in, in, in that yeah. kind of environment, yeah. you know, never got to that level, anywhere near that level, of yeah. you actually thinking, God, these lads are 16, 17, yeah. and everything that you've just said then, it, it almost is trauma because you're like, yeah. you know, no, no, no other person... Adults wouldn't go through those pressures, you know. I have a job where, you know, it's, yeah, unless you do something seriously wrong, you're not going to get fired. You're not going to get, you know, opinionated and, and thrown out at a moment's notice. But in football, these young lads are going through the sacrifices, the, you know, training three nights a week at under-16s level, having to go home, do homework, grab tea, go yeah. to school and perform at a weekend. Oh, and then all right, yeah, I've got my scholarship, you know, when I'm 16, happy days. Well, no, it's not, because now it's a full-time job. Yeah. Now you're waking up, now you're travelling in when it's grey, rainy, dark, yeah. horrible, as it is now. Mm-hmm. You're training, you've got to watch what you eat, you've got to make sure you get yeah. enough sleep, you've got all these different supportive systems and individuals yeah. telling you, not almost, not really telling you what to do, but offering you yeah. all variable different pieces of advice. Is, yeah. Oh, and by the way, a lot of it is going to be outside of your control in two years when you get a professional contract. So, yeah, where do you want to yeah. sign? And you just think, hang on, yeah. these lads, and, yeah. you know, I'm going on record, these lads deserve so much respect. Absolutely. And, again, going back to the beginning of the conversation around mental health and yeah. well-being, that's why your 1-11 to 11 is ideal because it just, okay. in the image, it just typifies what it's about. You need to yeah. have every single one of those in your locker yeah. to even survive the academy system, never mind make those stepping stones into yeah. professional ranks. I believe so. And so I'll run through quickly so that you know yeah, the yeah. lads are listening. So acceptance responsibility, as we've mentioned, is key. Your communication, both with your other team members, with your coaching staff, family, you know, because that's then you've got your support system. And, that's, and then, more importantly, how are you talking about to yourself? Because often as players, lack of confidence, you know, the demons can come in, can't they? And you've got to mm. come back from those things. What's your support network like and how are you supporting yourself? So have you got people who are fully on board with you? Or do you have a couple of mates who are maybe trying to convince you to go out for a few bevies or distract <laughs> you, you know, because are they going to be good for your long-term growth and, and progression? Probably yeah. not. Not to fall out with people, but at least with communication, you can explain why you're doing what you're doing and why their behaviour yeah. is maybe not helping you. Then you've got values and beliefs which are massive in terms of that belief mm-hmm. that you have to become a player mine was unshakable so even through countless injuries on my way to becoming a pro I never once doubted and, and I use that word faith as well kind of just a, a knowing but then your, your value system who you are as a person is yeah. that in alignment with other people and so but then understanding don't be judging other people because they don't have the same morals as you because often that's what we'll do we'll say well I can't believe they're doing that or you know I can't believe she's doing that but actually it's that they're just doing what they do based on their values and beliefs as are you and so if you can understand that it gives you a little bit more of an understanding so understanding where your beliefs came from and actually that your beliefs can be changed and the driving so much your conditioning in the background you know if if someone's telling you you're no good that's what you'll believe Mm -hmm. if you hear it often enough right and so again for coaches and management communications key about in terms of how you we're not saying blow smoke up all players backsides but what we're saying is can we address them in a way that still has a respect for them as a human being because when i was playing you got spoke to not as a human being often no. it was in a very detrimental disrespectful way and certainly even back with the some of the racist stuff back when i was playing 
many yeah. a true word was said in jest, you know, certainly by older professionals towards mm-hmm. you if you were of another colour. So that that's to be thought about and addressed in people's prejudices. And then there's goals. What's your intentions? Are you living with intention as a player? Do you want to become a player? And what are your goals? And it's like just setting that next one. When I became a pro, the mistake I made was that I didn't set the next short-term goal, if that makes sense, to like get 10, yeah, 20 yeah. games in first team at Oldham. I was just happy that I'd completed the 10-year journey. And so that mm. was something I'd say to players, if you become a pro and you're fortunate enough to make it, just set that next little goal to keep you moving forward to achieve the next thing. But like, just think about your intention, how you're living and thinking each day about moving towards that goal because it's, it's that intention that is important. And then when you've got your goals and you, you're intending to do something, what's your plan? What's your routine? Yeah. What are your routines? Think about that, like, because you're going to need a plan to achieve this goal. It might be getting it first team playing 10 games. Well, maybe you want to go see the gaffer and see what you need to work on and then go go to work on that thing. And then once you've got your plan, it's about consistency and discipline, which go hand in hand. And those are basically your habits, right? And how consistent can you be and disciplined in improving your game or improving your mindset or going to the gym? How disciplined are you? Because that's underpinned by your commitment. How much do you really want to achieve that next part of your development? How much do you, is it? Do you want it, or do you just do you just speak about it? Because actually, it doesn't matter what you say; it's your actions that will show everybody where you're at. And it's that mm-hmm. discipline and consistency. And then time; things take time. Unfortunately, for a lot of the younger people now in society, it's all about instant gratification. Well, as we've just said, it took 10 years from conception to becoming a pro. People don't want to put 10, 10 years in. It's like changing your mindset and, and coming back from mental health issues. I've had to put a good eight years in so far, and I've got to keep putting it in for, for the rest of my life, but I'm prepared to do it. There's no quick mm-hmm. fixes to change your mindset because it's something that you've done for such a long time. You're really good at it. It's habitual. To change your habits, you've got to be prepared to put a shift in. And then thinking about that how are you using your time for certainly for younger players if they've got quite a bit of free time are you investing it so that's what we talked about are you investing your time can you go do something else learn a new skill have something ready how much time are you spending and then how much time are you wasting so after training do you just go home and sack it off and play on playstation for three or four hours or do you invest that three or four hours in to a little bit of learning, a couple of hours a day that's going to get you something over the long period of time. And then the final piece of the puzzle is gratitude, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Developing this attitude of gratitude so that even if things are going against you, you can still find the shining, the silver lining in it, even if it's something that goes wrong. You know, If you get injured, what's the, what's the benefit of getting injured? And someone will go, what do you mean, what's the benefit of getting injured? But doesn't it give you an opportunity to watch more games? to learn more, to develop, to see the game from a different perspective? Or will it give you some more time to focus on that thing away from football while you're getting fit? So you can produce those 11 things and there's much more to them. There's many more facets to them. But if you you learn those early and you keep working on them, how uh, resilient are you going to be? You know, how competent are you going to be? How will you be able to spot some of the signs, you know, and understand that, oh, actually, that's dropped off. I'm not feeling too great. And that's the great thing about the 11 is when things drop off or you're not feeling as great, you can go back and, like, look at your team sheet and go, it's yeah. one of my players is not performing. Ah, right. Commitment's dropped off, hasn't it? I've started slacking a little bit, right? So I'm not disciplined and not consistent. So you can go back to work on those things. And so 
from a lifestyle mentality point of view, these things cover everybody's lives. And as I said at the beginning, it's not that we don't know these things because all those those um, kind of categories I've mentioned, everybody's heard of them. They're not new. They're not new nope. things. It's just that we don't look at them in that way. And so even for mental health with the time thing, most of my problems were always past related or future related. When I was living in the now, I never have a problem. But actually, now's all we've ever got. But so many people are focused upon regret and then anxiety of the future when we don't even know what's going to happen. But if you take action, the anxiety goes away. And if you if you let go of the past, it has no power over you anymore. And so time's this that's really important element. And again, time's limited, isn't it? Your career as a footballer, but your life as well. So... Yeah. There's, there's two ways I look at it, depending on what you believe about afterlife. If, if, if this is it and this is the journey and then when you, you end here, that's it. Well, you might as well enjoy the ride. And if, the, if there's an after party, enjoy the ride now because we're going to have a great time at the after party as well. So, do you know what I mean? So it's a win-win in many ways for people. But that's something else that we worry about is the end of that journey. But then we're always frustrated within life because we didn't, get out or do the things I actually want to do. And, and the, the overriding thing that holds us back is fear. Yeah, fear, fear of what people yeah. are going to say. And for all of us, we're all scared of something. It's fear of what people will think if you're starting that business or fear of what people are going to say if you go out with that person or people, you know, and it's like we, we worry so much about what people are going to think of us until when you realise that it actually doesn't matter. And until that point, it can be really challenging. When you realise it doesn't matter what other people think, essentially, not really. It matters what you do and how you think. That's more important at this stage. You can then have a sense of freedom. And until that point, you're going to be, you're going to always be caged and, and worried. And like we said in football, you judge so much, it's difficult. But if we can help younger players to go, it doesn't really matter. Does it what they're saying no. in the stands? It doesn't matter what the reporters write. You, because every player knows how they've done when they come off the pitch, don't they? Like of you don't even need to ask. I remember times travelling back with my old man, and I know I've had a bad game, and then he's asking me how the game's gone. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even want to talk. I don't want to talk about it, Dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just I don't even talk about it. And if you know that you've not, you know, if someone comes up and says you've played well, and you know you haven't, you, you don't take anything from that. You don't feel great because you you know it's not. You know yourself, don't you? So that's where this. This knowing comes in for people, but if 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 people put these eleven things, and then I always say the twelfth man is action, because it, as we just said, you can learn about anything. Education's everywhere, but if you're not willing to to action the steps, then nothing changes. Yeah, action's always required. Always required. One hundred percent. At that point, I think we're going to wrap up. And, you know, it's been been great to t- talk to you again, Martin. I'm, and yeah. I know it won't be the last time that we catch no, up. No, I appreciate it, mate. Um, really you know, appreciate it. on the podcast, it's, it's been really good to, to have you on. And, you know, I couldn't think of anybody better to kind of kick off the the, uh, the mental health and wellbeing month. It's, yeah, when I was looking at the, the themes of the podcast, it was definitely in maybe not my one to 11 because yeah it's going to be 52 there's going to be 52 yeah. episodes so yeah. but yeah, it, yeah it's right up there in terms of you know what what's what's relevant what's out there what's needed and like you said you know if any of the listeners just take one thing from the last 60 yeah. minutes it's yeah. that action thing and yeah i, I just want to 
on behalf of our listeners and, and myself, thank you for your time this evening. Thank you for, for giving us plenty of words of wisdom and your 1 to 11, which I'm sure the lads will be able to take away and, and put into action. Cheers, mate. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I have to say, what an impressive individual Martin is. Not just because he's impacting on the current academy players and also the future professional players, but the many transitions he has gone through and the experiences he's had along the way. I'm not always in agreement of guests and those delivering workshops having to have been in the game as those outside of the sport have plenty to offer and can view the sport through a different lens. However, those who have been in the game and been through a full career and have empathy with young players, which allows them to engage and add value to their early careers. Martin certainly does that. I know with a high level of confidence that you will have got something, not just one thing from Martin's episode. You'll have a better understanding of what mental health means and what well-being is for someone in the sport. But most importantly, you now have a range of subject areas to go away, research and start to take action towards continuing your personal development, which will only make you a better player too. We look forward to you joining us next week when we continue to discuss all things mental health and well-being when we bring you more interviews from the locker. hope you enjoyed this week's episode and look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview from the locker be sure to follow this podcast to access the latest episodes and make sure you share these interviews with your friends family teammates and anyone you feel will benefit from the episodes look out for behind the scenes footage on our instagram page for more information on our facebook page and be sure to give us a follow on twitter too Don't forget to access our website for up-to-date resources as well as contact details for all our guests who appear on the podcast from week to week. All these details can be found in the About section on the podcast platform you have accessed this episode from. We look forward to you joining us next week in listening to more interviews from The Locker.